Hey, this is Ed Stetzer, and you're listening to Ed Stetzer Live, and we're glad to have you this and every Saturday at this time. We're having conversations about, well, issues you're talking about today, hopefully issues that you're working through and thinking through. And today we want to talk about, I guess it's it's kind of a theological conversation, but it's also a deeply practical conversation. Um, years ago, years ago, I read a book, and in this book by Paul Mayer, and it might be Meyer, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's called A Skeleton in God's Closet. He's not our guest. That's not what we're going to talk about today, but stay with me for just a moment. And what basically boils down to is they find this um, skeleton in a tomb in Israel. And in this skeleton in this tomb of Israel, eventually it's published by Thomas Nelson. So you sort of know it's a Christian book. You know where it's going. Um, And basically they find that this is Jesus' skeleton. And Jesus' skeleton is found in the tomb, which, which of course means he wasn't resurrected from the dead, and it changes um, changes everything. And and it's it's interesting because um, you know the news spreads around the globe, and and uh, Christians are are in despair, and you know people say a wasted missionaries who served for thirty years in an obscure place say they wasted their lives, and and of course it turns out you know not to be true. And just so you know, I don't believe that. I do believe Jesus. I believe Jesus was dead on a Friday on Sunday, back from the dead, and that that truth changes, changes everything. And so I'm really excited to actually bring today to you a, uh, a friend of mine, a pastor, uh, a, a leader. Uh, his name's Joby Martin. And Joby is actually the founder and lead pastor of the Church of 1122, which the name itself has a long, funny conversation that we probably won't get to, but we'll see. But it's in Jacksonville, Florida. He's uh, he's a preacher, he's a teacher, and he wrote a book called If the Tomb is Empty. And, uh, and really, it kind of walks through what does it mean if it really is true that Jesus is back from the dead, that he rose again uh, on the third day. But let's have him explain. Joby, thanks for coming on the program. And explain a little bit about the title of your new book. What does it mean? Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's, uh, Ed, I appreciate you and all that you've done for me and this church and lots and lots of people for a really long time. So it's an honor to be here thanks, with you. Uh, I've been in ministry for 30 years now. I've been pastoring this church for 10, and I can't tell you the number of times, particularly at the end of a service, a family or a couple or somebody would come up to me, and they would they would say, Pastor, I find myself in an impossible situation. And it could be uh, an impossible marriage, or I've got a prodigal that's never coming home, or I just got this health report, or financial situation, whatever it may be. And oftentimes I knew these folks from our church. I knew they were believers in Jesus. And I would ask the question, well, you believe in the resurrection of Christ, right? And they would say, well, of course I do. And I said, okay. And then one day it just fell out of my mouth. Well, if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. Like um, we can pray for miracles because the greatest miracle of all time has happened. And if God can breathe new life into his dead son, surely he could breathe new life into your marriage, into your relationships, whatever it may be. And so that phrase has meant a lot to our church for the last bunch of years. And then a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine and I were leading a trip to Israel. And it seemed like every time the bus stopped, we were at the foot of another mountain. And it just, I don't know, it just occurred to me, wow, when God formed all of these mountains, when he was making the earth, he knew the miracles and the messages that were going to happen on these mountains. So I kind of took those two things, put them together, and that's what formed the book. We start on Mount Moriah. We chase it through seven different mountains where God moved. We end back 
up at Mount Calvary, which is the same mountain, which very few Christians even know. And we basically just look at this mountain that held a tomb, but the tomb couldn't hold a body. And it's fascinating. It's really a fascinating book. And I think um, kind of worth an ongoing conversation because I'm convinced. You know, I think about 1 Corinthians 15, 14. You know, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And I mean, everything's based on the resurrection. If that tomb is empty, it changes every, everything and anything. And the, the full title of, of Joby's book is actually, If the Tomb is Empty, Why the Resurrection Means Anything is possible. So it's for me, you know, like you said, to if I'm going to believe that God the Son was born, Jesus the Christ, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, God raised him from the dead in the third day, then I really have no reason for worry. I have no reason for fear. And so you kind of go through um, several passages of Scripture. Uh, walk through, just to give a couple of examples of some of those passages that are familiar to us, and, and ultimately, well, where it points us. Tell us a little about them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I am a, an expository preacher for sure, and um, so that's primarily what this book is about. It, it is a discipleship tool in the hands of people. So we, we start on Mount Moriah, which is, I mean, you obviously know this, it, it is just a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ, that, that Aram is told to take his only begotten son, Isaac, up onto this mountain to sacrifice, and this boy who's probably a teenager surrenders his will to the will of the father he carries the wood up this hill he must be willing to lay himself down on the altar because if he's 18 or 19 that means abraham's 118 or 19 and i don't know if you've wrestled a 118 year old guy lately but the, <laughs> you probably could take him or at least outrun him and so he he lays himself down this is all pointing to the fact that god the son would be born he would put wood on his back take it on top of a hill and he would be the sacrifice that God was looking for, for the forgiveness of our sin. We just do that over and over and over through. Because, you know, I'm one of those Bible guys that know that everything in the Scripture points to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so mm. we do that. We, do, we go to Mount Sinai next, where God gives the law. The law is given to us as both a map and a mirror of how we ought to live before a righteous king. And then a mirror for us to realize, uh-oh, there's a problem, and the problem is me. Um, and so just all the way through the Old and New Testament, we walk through different mountains where, where really God points us to the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so walking through these familiar places and the familiar passages is actually kind of pointing us towards the resurrection and how that, well, changes everything and makes anything possible. So who's who, when you, when you wrote the book— um, which obviously been received by a lot of people. Who's the book for? What's the what's the audience? Because you're you're a pastor. Some of people think you write for pastors. Who's it for? Uh, man, it's just well, the the vision of our church is that we're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when we launched our church, we did not buy into the false dichotomy that you either reach people or you keep people. And I was, um, I heard somebody say that a long time ago at a like church growth thing. And I thought that, I don't think that's it. And then a couple of years later, I'm sitting on the couch with my kid watching Shrek three or something for the hundredth time. And I remember, uh, put some boots, make a joke. I laugh. Shrek <laughs> makes a joke. My kid laughs. And I thought, huh, is Shrek an adult movie or a kid movie? And the answer is both. And so if Pixar can pull it off, then surely the Holy spirit can pull it off at our church. And so, same kind of thing is true for this book. Um, 
it is for sure a discipleship tool. But what what we've seen, you know, it came out back just you know before Easter this year, and one of the things that we've seen is so many Christians have purchased multiples and handed them out as uh, evangelism tools. They just say, you know, just try this. And so, uh, in fact, at the end of chapter one with Abraham and Isaac, I just share the the gospel, invite people to surrender to Christ, and then give them my email address. If they do, let me know so I can get them plugged into a local church wherever they are. And we've seen literally hundreds of people come to Christ. So while I primarily had discipleship in mind for the believer, um, we've seen it used as an evangelism tool for non-believers that have questions about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Yeah. And your um, forthcoming book is actually going to, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but anything's possible, how nine miracles of Jesus reveal God's love for you. Um, we're kind of a theme. I mean, you really have uh, pointing people to how God can work in powerful ways. Um, have you seen God work in powerful ways in your life and your church? And tell me about that. Well, I mean, our church is a miracle for sure. And the idea behind these two books is that, I mean, they really do go together. The first one leads us all the way up to the cross and empty tomb. And then anything is possible is going to start with the empty tomb and say, because of that, you can believe in the miraculous work of God. Um, and I did not grow up in church. I got radically saved at a, at a really, I guess you would call it like a fundamentalist camp. And, and we were probably cessationists. I didn't know that word there. And then. But in pastoring this church, man, I have seen, I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle. And the ultimate miracle is salvation. I mean, everybody that's healed of a disease still dies. But when you surrender your life to Christ, that is the ultimate miracle. But here, man, we've seen marriages restored and the chains of addiction fall off. And there was a man we were praying for like crazy. We, and and uh, he was about to go in for all this kind of liver stuff because he had cancer of the liver. And they just told him yesterday that um, he's cancer-free. Um, and in the second book, we deal with that. Like, what do you do when, when God comes through? And then what do you do when he doesn't answer the prayer the way you hoped he would? So, But, of course, we've, we've seen all kind of miracles. Even some that make – like, if I didn't know these people, I would be skeptical and uncomfortable. <laughs> and so a part of what that leads me back to when I'm – when I am even – even as the pastor, when I'm skeptical of the stories I hear, I have to go back and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if the tomb is empty. Like, if God can pull that one off, then surely I can believe him for whatever he's doing in these folks' lives. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a, a driving reality for the Christian. People think, ask me, why do I believe, for example, that the Bible is inerrant and inspired? And I say, well, because, I mean, I also believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Or why do I believe the miracles? Well, if in the New Testament, well, if God did raise Jesus from the dead, you know, it does change everything. Listen, we want to invite your calls, 877 548 Three six seven five. Maybe you got questions about what this means for you. Again, eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. Talking to Joby Martin. Continue our conversation in a moment. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayers' book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com.
Hey, we're back here, coast to coast, and also you can listen, of course, online. If you're just driving and you say, I want to listen to this every Saturday, and that's what you should be saying, you can go to edstetzerlive.com. You can actually subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you're not able to listen to the whole show here, you can listen to it later as well with the podcast. All that's at edstetzerlive.com. We're talking to Joby Martin. Joby's the founder and lead pastor of the church at 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida. I've known him for a few years, been fascinating to watch his uh, ministry be impactful in so many lives, and so thankful for that um, as well. You know, you said you've talked about being an expository preacher. For those who don't know what that means, that means you kind of preach through verses and books of the Bible in order, in context, kind of explaining them. Um, you brought some, clearly, of that theme to the book, but I'm kind of interested. You know, you preach thousands of sermons to base a series, uh, to base a book on a series, how did you choose this one? Why did this resonate with you? Uh, well, you'll know like the inside world of evangelicalism, Ed. And when our church grew really, really big, really, really fast, I got invited to do all the conferences and stuff, which I love and they're super helpful, I think. And I learned so much when I was attending them. And so um, I had lots and lots of opportunities to write a book and people saying I should and all that. And, um, you know, there's this verse in uh, John chapter 2, verse 5, where Jesus is at the wedding at Cana, and they run out of wine, and Mary comes to him and says, they've run out of wine. And he says, well, what's that going to do with me? And then Mary gives some of the best advice I find in all of the scriptures on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And she gathers the servants together and says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. Mm -hmm. And so I was just waiting until I felt like the Lord nudged me to write a book. You only get your first one once. Um, I definitely wanted to write a discipleship tool that was just saturated in the gospel. And so when I began to work through this material, I just felt the nudge of the Spirit of God say, this is it. And so I, I feel like I'm just doing what he told me to do. Yeah, yeah. And you you, you keep coming back to, again, that theme of if the tomb is empty. And for, re, for me, I don't know, I mentioned that book at the beginning of the show. It really did just remind me, fiction book, long, long time ago, probably before, before most of our listeners were were listening, um, and it just reminded me that really everything's based on this. You know, if 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 it's true that there's a resurrection, you know, I do, and I, I believe with all my heart, I've staked my life on this truth. There's, I can believe so much more. I can trust so much more. I can follow him with so much more joy. Now, if it's not true, then you know, again, again, it's all a, it's all a waste. It's all in vain. And I think we can read that verse, that First Corinthians verse, and say, yeah, well, it's true, so resurrection. But then the living in the power of that is so much different. That's why I think your phrase, if the tomb is empty, uh, anything is possible. And we keep coming coming back to that. But talk to me a little bit about, because um, it, it, it's hard for people to uh, believe that, right? They, they, I think intellectually, I think even at the, in the first segment you were saying, you ask them, do you believe the resurrection? They say, well, of course. And... Yet that doesn't make necessarily the bridge in their mind that all things um, are possible in Christ. So why is that hard for people to make that bridge? I think, um, you know, there's, there's a chapter on the mountain of temptation here because most people, even though we're not exactly sure where Jesus was tempted, uh, the historic site is a mountain just north of uh, Jericho, and you can take a cable car up to it, which is kind of neat and very convenient. And I think Peter would have taken the cable car. And the way the enemy begins to attack Jesus and the way the enemy begins to attack us is it's like a, it's like a misinformation campaign. It's a dirty war. The, the enemy, like the book of Revelation says the dragon's got a mortal head wound. He's going down. We know how this thing ends. Mm 
So he can't just face off with us, you know, with the with the the pitchfork and the red tail and do that thing. Typically, that's not how he manifests himself. So what he begins to do is launch these little this little misinformation campaign into our mind, so that we begin to believe the lies of the enemy. And if we begin to think a thing, we'll begin to feel a thing, which will lead us to do a thing. Hmm. And the enemy comes along like he did with Jesus. Like he did at Adam and Eve in the garden. He's like, did God really say that? And then right after Jesus' baptism on the mountain of temptation, he says to Jesus, if you really are the son of God. And then he begins to twist things, even twist the word of God. And he always wants us to question the word of God, the work of God, the worth of God, those things. And while... In my opinion, if you do any sort of apologetic study of the reasons supporting that there was an actual physical bodily resurrection, it seems to me that the evidence of that is absolutely overwhelming. But the gap between that, yes, I believe that Jesus is alive, to the, to the moment I wake up in the morning and I've got the enemy whispering his condemnation and lies, did God really say, are you really a son of God? Then, then the way I walk it out, there is a really, really big gap there in our lives. And so I want to bring us back to the reality of the gospel. And so the if in the statement, if the tomb is empty, I'm not asking if the, st the tomb is empty. It is a statement of fact. If I really believe that, then I can believe God for all of his promises. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves of that. Because I don't know about you, but man, I can go to bed with a full assurance of God's love for me. And then somehow that assurance just like leaks out of my head while I'm asleep every night. And I need to just remind myself of the good news of the gospel on a daily basis to live in the power of the resurrection. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I totally relate to what you're saying and I don't get why sometimes I don't know why if I've staked my life and you've staked your life on the fact that Jesus is back from the dead and that changes everything, you know, book of Romans, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Of course, because, but then Man, living that out Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. just sometimes seems hard for us. Um, and, yeah, so that, that, that's part of the challenge for me, and, and it may, maybe for others as well. Let me, let me invite our callers into the conversation again. Uh, we're talking about if the tomb is empty. We're talking about some of how and why we live these, these truths out. We're talking to Joby Martin. He's the founder and lead pastor of the Church of 1122. I want to invite you to call in at 877-548-3675. We're actually going to, uh, for brilliant, insightful callers who ask brilliant, insightful questions or have brilliant, insightful comments, we're giving away some copies of the book. Uh, and it's, again, oh, cool. if the tomb is empty. And so I want to encourage you to uh, give us a call. By the way, the, the forward's by uh, Tim Tebow. When I watch sports, it's only when Tim, Tim, Tim Tebow is playing because it's my Christian <laughs> obligation. I don't know. We've, I think we've probably joked about this before somewhere. I don't, I don't know anything about sports. But I know as a Christian I have to watch when Tim Tebow is playing a sport. So that's, that's an important part of my spiritual Yeah, journey. I will tell you this, Ed. Uh, uh, Tim is a part of our church. And uh, to all the folks that ever wonder... He is the real deal. And yeah. I am a I'm a hardcore Georgia Bulldog, and he obviously was a gator. So I rooted against him with everything I was. I prayed prayers against him for all four years he was in college, and then God brought him to our church, and I get to be a part of his life. And he is the real deal, leveraging everything God has given him for the glory of God. It's an amazing thing to watch up close and personal. Yeah. Now, are the Gators and the Bulldogs? Is that is that football? Is that is that the sport? Yeah, that's SEC football here? down here in the okay. South, man. Okay, good. College that's, football, that's, and that's 
that's life changing realities down in the south, and I, I, I get that. So, all right. So, um, the when you're again kind of walking through, one of the things you say uh, in the you ask in the book, if you say you're a Christian and you've surrendered your life to Christ, where is He not? What part of you have you not surrendered? Unpack that a little bit more for us. You know, um, I was on a mission trip in Africa years ago, and I'm uh, walking by, like in this little town, and there's this sweet lady uh, kind of sweeping the area in front of her hut, and she invited me into her home. And so me and the guys that were with me, we came in and visited with her, and there was there was just one room, right? And so when she invited me in, she invited me to the the entirety of her home. And then I go into my house today and there's like a foyer and a, and a little dining room we've never sat in. And then, you know, there's like multiple rooms, whatever. And I think oftentimes we have this like compartmentalized view of quote unquote, asking Jesus into our heart. Like you can come to our heart, even though the Shema says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so sometimes uh, we can believe God, believe Jesus for our salvation but we are not believing him for how we treat our wife or how we parent our kids or what we do with our money. And he is Lord of all when we surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ. So that question is simply that um, God search me and show me the areas in my life where I'm trying to cling on to control. I mean, in the, in the, in the days uh, of, in medieval days when, when they would send out the crusaders, you know, it's been said that the crusaders would get baptized, but they would hold their sword out of the water. And like, all right, you can have all of me, but this sword is mine. And, and, you know, today, oftentimes a lot of people will go into the baptism water and they don't literally do this, but figuratively it's like, okay, I'm going to hold my wallet in one hand and my sexuality in another one. And you can have everything, but these two things. And so mm -hmm. I'm just asking the question, what idols are you still holding on to that you need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ? Yeah, and some of these in the book you talk and related to addressing some of the things on mountains, and and I will tell you, I, I found it fascinating, but also different. I don't know anybody who's done that before, so I guess I demand to know more. I want to know, um, you know, because I just came back from Israel with some of your friends. Uh, we were there doing a class at uh, Wheaton College Graduate School. Uh, you, yeah. I know Matt Chandler. I, I think be a part of. Forward to your next. Oh, come on, come on. Uh, uh, I know Matt yeah. Chandler. I think is writing the forward to your next book, and he was with us, and and. Um, yep. We we didn't your the your your book actually came up um, at at one point and I'm trying to remember I think it was Matt who mentioned it um, but what I don't I think people just need an explanation you go from why about the, why the resurrection I need more on how mountains relate to that now, particularly Old Testament mountains mostly talk I mean no they're Old Testament New Testament mountains you know you know what I mean let me also remind people too yeah. that they can call it eight eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five okay explain more. So I, I think there, there's a multi-layered reason around this. One thing is I wanted to trace God's gospel movement from almost the beginning of the Bible with Abraham all the way through Mount Calvary and to see let people see the gospel thread through a whole bunch of places in the in the Old Testament through and be fulfilled in the New. Also, there's this idea of the sovereignty of God, like when he spoke it all into existence. He made some pieces of dirt really high and some pieces of dirt really low. And for whatever reason, in this little spot in the Middle East that they originally called Mount Moriah and, and now we know as the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, like when he built up that mountain, he decided, I mean, this is going to be the center place of all human history. It's going to happen on this high piece of dirt that I have created. 
And not only is there the gospel thread and then the sovereignty of God in these mountains and the events that he knew was going to happen there, there's also this, um, the ideas of mountains and valleys is so illustrative of every single life of every single people listening to this, including me and you, that our lives are just a series of mountaintops and valleys, and every single one of us is either on one, in between one, or coming out of one. And so that's sort of the 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 reasons behind it. Mm-hmm. And and, and then some of it's just my coming... own like Bible study. I just was like, right, sure, no, I mean, yeah, it's a Bible ago, rich I just thought, resource. Huh, I'm going to just look at a bunch of mountains and see what happened. And that's how the <laughs> series came about. Well, I, I liked it. I think, no, I think it's, I think it's fascinating and, and I think it's helpful content, but I also think it reminds people that, um, you know, God, the son has always been there's no, and God, mm-hmm. God's plan of salvation through sending his son has always been. And you clearly point to that many times. In other words, the resurrection uh, wasn't like a surprise last-minute plan that God came up with after Jesus uh, died on the cross. And and why is it important for us to to know and walk back through? Like you said, you started in Abraham. You go all, all the way back to some of the early stories in the Old Testament pointing deeply to the resurrection and the gospel. Why is it important for us to know those are all connected? Yeah, because God is ultimately about God. Now, he's for us. Anybody that dies mm-hmm. for you is for you. It's just not all about us. And so... From before the beginning of time, God had preordained for his own glory that he would send his son on a rescue mission to redeem people like us for his glory. Okay, and I got more I want us to walk through that, but I want to invite our calls again. Our number is 877-548-3675. Talking to Joby Martin with your calls, 877-548-3675. And we're here with Joby Martin, Ed Stetzer. I'm here at Ed Stetzer Live. We're talking about his new book. It's new as in a few months ago, uh, published earlier this year. It's called If the Tomb is Empty. And I think the subtitle really helps to get at some of the theme, why the resurrection means anything is possible. The tomb is empty, our faith is in vain. However, I'm sorry, if the tomb is not empty, our faith is in vain. If the tomb is empty, it changes changes everything. And ultimately, well, we frame and walk our lives. We frame our life around and walk our lives forward with that truth. Uh, We're going to get to our calls, and we've got several lined up as well. Let me give you uh, one more opportunity to call in and ask a question or make a comment. Either one's really fine. Um, 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877-548-3675. Joby, a couple times as you were walking through our interview, you mentioned uh, the kind of, in some ways, your, your own personal, you know, you were at mountains in Israel, you were talking to a family in church, you were preaching a series. Tell us a little bit how your faith journey is kind of wrapped in and around in writing this book. Yeah. One of the, one of the great blessings of writing the book is that one of my dear friends is a guy named Charles Martin, New York times bestseller. He's written 20 plus novels. Um, he's a believer. All of his Fiction books are like biblical themes. And then he's written a couple of nonfiction books too. And he, I asked him if he would help me write the book. And so, you know, publishers talk about ghostwriters and all that stuff. And I just thought, well, so all the content is mine, but he helped me take it from, you know, from the pulpit to the page. And so that's why the cover just says Joby Martin with Charles Martin. And so 
he sort of uh, forced it in the right word, but he was like, I think it would be a good idea if you included some of your personal stories in there. That was not necessarily mm -hmm. my idea, but my own faith journey, and I didn't grow up in church at all. I mean, I grew up in the South, right. so we I believe in God like you believe in college football and the Tooth Fairy and NASCAR, right? And so I'd go occasionally, and I would just said I was a Christian because I was living in the South. And then I got in some pretty significant trouble as a high schooler, and my football coach talked to the judge, and I ended up cutting grass at a little um, Southern Baptist denominational camp. Hmm. And, and Name names. I, I want to know which gospel, camp. Which camp? It's called Camp Pine Hill Baptist Retreat Center. And Coach Bully yeah. was the guy that led me to Christ. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was, you know, whatever. And so I'd heard the gospel. I'd heard Jesus died on the cross for your sins, whatever. But the on Thursday night before the campfire, the the counselors dressed up in like sheets and stuff and reenacted the crucifixion of Christ from Oh wow. From Jesus with Pontius Pilate, and he would say, what shall I do with this man named Jesus? And everybody yelled, crucify him, kill him. And then they walked him down the side of a pond, though there was no pond in Jerusalem. That's what we had. <laughs> and they flop, flip-flops together to make it sound like a whipping, but it was like 100 yards away, so it looked like it. And then they had three crosses, and we heard the sound of the nails. And then wow. Jesus and the two thieves on the cross, and Jesus said the seven things he said, starting with, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then ending with, it is finished. And then I'm sitting there, and, and I felt like I had been transported to 33 A.D. outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. Hmm. And all I know to tell you, I couldn't have told you about substitutionary atonement or God's election or any of that kind of stuff. All I knew is when he said it is finished, somehow I believe that counted for me. And then we were Southern Baptists, so we I think it's, they're under contract to sing just as I am. So we did about 13 times or so. <laughs> and I was completely embarrassed. I was like, I, and you know, at this camp, you couldn't get saved where you are. You had to walk down front in front of everybody. Right. And so on about the 13th time through coach Lee gets up and says, I think there's just one more person here that needs to his language, ask Jesus into their heart. And so I got up, walked down there and gave my life to Christ. And, and from that day until this day, I just can't get over the gospel. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. know me, man. I just cannot get over not only that he would save me, but then call me and use me in his church, you know, to help other people know Jesus. And so I, I just cannot get over that. Yeah. And I, I sense that, and, you know, in, in your deep desire to tell people the good news of the gospel, um, your, uh, you know, you never got over the fact that Jesus saved you. And I think that's, that's reflected here. And I actually really appreciate the, the personal nature of, of your comments in the book. I think that kind of helps tie in, helps the, the listener understand, or the reader understand more. Well, let's go to some calls. And again, let me remind people too, that they can call in. It's 877-548-3675. You can ask questions to Joey Martin. And because our question is, you know, I mean, anything is possible. I think we'll have some wide-ranging questions about how people can can live out the truth, the power of the resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and more. So let's go to Anthony in, in Florida, actually. Anthony, you're live on the air with Joby. Go ahead with your question or your comment. Yes, uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I, I had a major problem. Uh, we're married 34 years, and we had uh, 
divorced uh, recent, well, not recently, since 2018. And uh, during the, all this time, I've been living in by myself, and uh, and uh, I need some advice, and I need some uh, advice on maybe reconciliation. But my but the other party, my wife and my ex-wife, and and my son are not uh, going to uh, uh, agree to that right now. So. I just need to, I know through prayer and through my, my love for God and my, my prayer to Jesus that he will help me. And I just need to have some advice from Joby and what he would think. Let, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's first, let me, let me, let me get this. I want to, I want to make sure that we get you a copy of Joby's book. And if you'll hold on the line after, after he answers the question, uh, my producer will jump on and give that to you. But, but Joby, here you are. I mean, here's like, like his follower of Jesus, got reconciliation challenges, uh, what does this look like, and how ultimately does would you give him advice and counsel, pastoral advice and counsel, right here? Yeah, Anthony. First of all, man, my heart breaks for you. I mean, we live in a broken world. Like when sin entered our world, sin held the door open for all kind of things to be broken, and so my heart really does break for you. And so there's really a lot, a lot there. The first. First and foremost is that you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. That God never wastes a hurt. And maybe he would use this time to draw you closer and closer to him. I would find some godly brothers to surround yourself with. And then the Bible tells us that husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And so regardless of what your current uh, legal standing is with your wife or ex-wife, you know, you committed for better, for worse till death do you part. And so I would work really hard to love her however she needs to be loved and to not give up on her and to also know that we've, we've seen dozens of times here at our church, people that were once divorced, put Jesus in the middle of that relationship, act like it. And then we have seen God breathe new life into a relationship that they thought for sure was dead. But the key is, is for you to draw near to Jesus. And and he promises us that he will draw near to us in this and then never give up because he never gives up on us. Mm. And, and and important words, and I think that ultimately keeps pointing back to how Christ has um, had victory, you know, and we can we're seeking to walk in that victory as well. Let's go to David, all the way up on the other side of the country in Idaho. David, you're live on the air. Go ahead. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, fascinating topic. Uh, of course, I see Jesus in the Bible all the way through, like you say in Genesis, all the way through Revelation. But uh, I'd like a little bit more specifics on how. Uh, Joseph, when he was sold into slavery by his devious brothers, uh, how that reflects on Jesus. I know towards the end, uh, I got a kind of feeling of how you're going to answer the question, but uh, (laughs) I want to make sure I'm on the right track, please. (laughs) Well, David, hold on, too. We're going to give you a copy of Joby's book. And I want you to address that, answer answer David's question, but also, too, then give us some other examples throughout the book where you talk about how we're seeing pointing to uh, the ultimate, you know, incarnation, resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I, I think, and you probably see this coming. So um, Joseph did little to nothing to be treated the way he was treated. Maybe he was a little arrogant telling his brothers that he did have a vision that everybody was going to bow down to him. As an older brother, I would say, if you have that vision, you may want to keep it to yourself and just trust God to bring it to fruition. <laughs> but by the end of his life, 
when he has been elevated, he looks at his brothers in a place where he could bring judgment and he offers grace. And in it, he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And the most evil thing that has ever been intended against someone ever on the planet is that the perfect God became flesh and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life. And if you were there on the day Jesus was crucified and didn't know how this was going to go, surely you would look to God and say, God, have you completely lost control? What are you doing? This isn't fair. And God could say, eh, but what you think is evil is actually been my plan, and I intend to use this, the greatest atrocity of all time, for the redemption of mankind. I have not lost control. I'm actually redeeming the world. So I think that's what we see through the life of Joseph. Now, all throughout all throughout the, the book, some of the things that we point to is like when in, on Mount Sinai, when right after Moses receives the law, the next thing he does is set up the sacrifice because immediately we know that no one by works of the law could declare themselves righteous. So we need this alien righteousness. When we see, uh, when we see Elijah on Mount Carmel, we see people that are supposed to be Yahweh worshipers, and instead they've allowed idols to come into their life, and God sends the fire of his judgment to burn away those idols, but then here comes Jesus, and he is the one that endures the fire of God's judgment. This is why in the New Testament, um, Jesus' disciples refer back to Elijah when uh, I think it's Samaria, and they, they won't receive the gospel, and he's like, how about call down fire like, a, like Elijah did? And Jesus is like, I don't think you understand how this works. There will be a judgment, but for anyone who would, who would believe in me, I will be the one to receive judgment that you might be able to receive my righteousness. Mm, mm, such a powerful word. Let me invite you. We have uh, one more segment to call. We were talking to Pastor Joby Martin. His uh, book is If the Tomb is Empty. We actually had the privilege to give it away a few copies of that as well. The subtitle of that is Why the Resurrection Means Anything is Possible. So we're talking about some of those ways where God's power is at work in our lives and, and ultimately how the Old Testament points to that as well. Your calls are welcome. Again, our number 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back having a conversation with uh, Joby Martin. The uh, book is talking about ultimately the, well, the power of Christ in our lives. Um, if the tomb is empty, why the resurrection means anything is possible. Joby, talk to me about the contrast you make of believing that and believing in in the book. Hmm. Yeah, again, I've mentioned a couple of times, you know, I live in the South, so... There's a whole bunch you, of people. Yeah, I, I don't, that I, Joby. That. I don't think you need to say that anymore. I think just <laughs> listening to you, everybody knows and likes it. I, my daughters are Tennessee girls, so they say "fixin." So you can say it right here. We got you. <laughs> that's, that's right, man. Well, I hope you like it because this is how we're going to talk in heaven. So, um, hey, come on, come on. I, there's just a you know, the demons believe, but but they shudder. So. The idea is that you believe that. That is not what the Greek word means. The Greek word is pastuo. I almost hate it that in English it gets translated to believe like in John 3.16, whosoever believes, because it doesn't just mean believe that, like a mental assent. Like I believe that Abraham Lincoln was the president, but I don't know him. I don't, I don't trust. I don't know him. Um, 
And the word pastuo is more like trust in, believe in, commit your whole life into. And so the illustration that I use is one from when I was growing up in a little town, Dillon, South Carolina, and my dad was going to, quote, teach me to swim. We didn't do swim lessons. It was very Darwinian. You just kind of, if you didn't survive, then you weren't tough enough to survive. And he would tell me to go get on the diving board, and then he would get in the deep end, and he would just say, come on, buddy, jump. And while I'm standing on the diving board, I recognize that that is my father. I rode there with him. I recognize his accent. He had that cool Magnum PI mustache. Like, I know him. I see my mom over on the side of the pool drinking a tab covered in baby oil and, you know, that kind of thing back in the day. And while I am standing on my own two feet on the diving board, I believe that that is my dad. But I, at that point, I have not pastuoed in him because I'm holding me up. For me to put my trust in him is to believe he is who he says he is and he's going to keep his promise. And his promise is, if I will put my life in his hands, he won't let me drown. And knowing that on my own, I can't keep myself afloat. And so when I take that step off the diving board into the loving arms of my heaven, of my earthly father, that's what to believe in, to pastuo is. And so I want people that maybe they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, but they have never trusted him with their life to do that, to put their faith in him. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think an important distinction for sure. Um, let, let's go to Tony in uh, not far from here, actually in West Chicago, Tony, you're live on the air. What's your question or comment? Yeah. Um, I just was so interested to hear um, the concept of, you know, Jesus's miraculous resurrection and I wondered how the pastor had experienced results of preaching that in his own church. Yeah, what do you think, Joby? And uh, again, I, let me, I'll ask you too, Tony. Hold on, because I want to give you a copy of that book. Um, I, you know, Paul talks about knowing the power of the resurrection and the suffering of Christ and put those things together. And so one of the, the things that I, I've seen here in our church is the hope that it gives people. I mean, I, I'm even thinking about to the first caller. And while this world may say he is in a hopeless situation, he can look at the power of the resurrection, the spirit of God in him, and know that there is hope and that his ultimate hope is in the resurrected Christ. I mean, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think there's, I think we, we have a, a, a hope deficit right now, particularly in our world, in, in our country. And those of us that are Jesus people that know that, that he walked out of the grave, then we got some walking that we can do too by the power of the Spirit. And the same Spirit that brought him out of the grave lives inside of us. So there is hope for what God is using, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, for his greater good and glory and our joy. So that's where the power of the resurrection really applies, I think, in our, in our personal lives. Yeah, it's and, and I, I just I'm struck by the fact that and again I, I was just recently I was speaking at some group in Canada the I shouldn't say some group I was recording a video so I don't remember who's a part of all of it and um, you know I was actually looking at John twenty nineteen through twenty one and where Jesus sends them as the Father has sent me even so send I you but just before that he showed them his hands and his side that's the mm -hmm. Sunday night of the resurrection. All the stuff we talk about mission, all the stuff that we talk about making a difference in the world means really nothing if, well, if Jesus has not come back. But if he's come back, 
it should shape us in some miraculous ways. And, and I would say it often doesn't. We sometimes live as if the resurrection hasn't occurred and Jesus has left us a series of philosophies or teachings. So how do we, I mean, again, I want us to understand the full teaching of the Word of God and more, but in, we get, we've got about a, a minute or so left. What hope would you have as people read through the book, read through the mountains, point ultimately to the resurrection, that they would understand and live differently because they've read and understood this idea? So one is that um, you could be assured of your hope in Christ that will lead to your eternity with the Father. That like the foundation of your hope is not on like how good you are, or good you've been. That's not the foundation. The foundation of your hope is that the tomb is empty. And I think this is a really big one, man. And the power that thrusts us to be a significant part of being great commission people, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and make disciples of whoever God puts in front of us and calls us to share the gospel with, that that thing can actually happen because the tomb is empty. Like when whoever it is in your life that you think, well, that person could, you know, I've been praying for them for 25 years and they, they haven't come to Christ. Well, listen, if the tomb is empty, even that person, may get saved that that's where our hope is that's that's what we rooted in yeah yeah and i think for a lot of people and we just got a little bit left i want to hear just a little bit more for a lot of people they don't know how to begin i'm not talking about becoming a follower of jesus begin but they don't know how to trust in the power of christ again what would you encourage them just about 30 seconds i'd go back to uh i'd go back to john 2 5 that if you don't know where to begin, then you pray like crazy. John 10 says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And, and if you don't know the shepherd's voice, open your Bible, read it out loud. That's the shepherd. That's God himself talking to you. And then take one step at a time. Do whatever it is that he has called you to do. And you can trust him because he's good. He laid down his life for his people. He's good. You don't look at your circumstances. You look at the cross and you know that he's good. And he loves you. And you can trust his voice to do whatever it is that he's called you to do. And the reason you can trust that is because he did what he said he was going to do. He went into the grave, and three days later, he was resurrected. Mm. Uh, in case that's Joby Martin, if you joined us late, uh, the new book that we're talking about is, um, is, is ultimately speaking about if the tomb is empty, why the res res resurrection means anything is possible. Uh, Joby's pastor in Jacksonville, if you didn't notice, he grew up in the South. He did mention that a few times, but I felt that was unnecessary as we listened to his amazing, insightful voice. And we're so thankful to have him on the program today and thankful for you listening as well. Let me also thank my team. Uh, Karen Hendren, producer, Courtney Younger, engineer, Ryan Hansen, doing a great job manning the phones today. Here today, pro today's program again, you can find it at edstetzerlive.com. And of course, um, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio and Moody Radio and all of our partners and affiliates, all we connect with through Moody Radio. But Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening again to Ed Stetzer Live. <laughs>